Hey, everybody. Mike Shope with Adam Krautwurst. We'll be joined by Jay Moyer. Talk a lot about rookies coming into the draft, particularly the running backs. How do you know who to bet on, if you will, even before the draft, which is next week? It is that time of year. Talk a little Deshaun Watson and a couple of format topics as time permits as well. Thanks for being with us. This is The Deep End. Adam, I'm always excited to to share this time with you, and I think as you have not shut up about Jay Moyer for months, <laughs> I feel like this has got to be even more exciting for you this time. Listen, you can't do that. That's like you know, it's like telling the girl that I've been talking about her. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we, right. we don't want Jay. We don't want Jay to know that. But yeah, I've been I've loved Jay's work for for a while. Um, I subscribed to you know FF Astronauts, and uh, so I'm totally excited to get his takes on all this stuff. Yeah, and I, you're right. I won't do. I won't do that. I won't put that kind of pressure on Jay. I shouldn't do that. I mean, I feel like maybe I'm setting him up. It's got to be good, but you know the the work Jay seems really good, and it's got to be. I, I I would like to think you hear from your customers, subscribers, and, and your your Twitter followers that it's really useful. I'm eager to find out more about your your process and help make good decisions between which of these rookies to uh, want to back and which to avoid. Yeah. So my process is really based on film evaluation. Uh, I have a background in, in coaching. So that's where I learned mostly how to study film and a, a little bit more in depth about various schemes that really help you in the frame of running backs, help you evaluate decision-making and how closely they're executing the play as it's drawn up. And, you know, really just, I've been passionate about football my whole life, so really enjoy watching it and, you know, started looking for content of, of film breakdowns on players and, and thought that, hey, I'm not seeing the stuff that, I, that I'm looking for, so I, I, maybe I can add to it myself. Started making uh, breakdowns where, you know, I annotate the video, especially as it relates to running back play. I do running backs probably most frequently just because I, I love watching the position so much. Uh, so that's really what my, what my process is. And then in terms of filling out, you know, like a rookie guide and all that stuff, do a little bit of background research on what the guy's story is, you know, what kind of numbers they put up. But really what I do is probably 90% based on the the film. Well, we'll definitely get into a couple of those running back uh, topics shortly, right, Adam? Yes, absolutely. And I, I was wondering kind of as you study in the, the running backs there, like what do you think are like the most important traits when you're, when you're studying film? Is it explosiveness is it footwork is it vision like what do you do you have like a a ranking hierarchy there yeah i do so when i grade running backs you know i grade them across certain categories processing decision making which falls under the vision category uh you know how well they deal with contact and collisions do they break tackles uh you know are they getting surprised by contact uh look at things like burst i think for translating to the nfl the things that i really value the most are those those three things. So like vision, decision-making, footwork, which are all sort of tied together into one thing. I think burst is especially important, you know, how quickly they can get up to top speed because defenders are so fast in the NFL. And then also just the ability to deal with contact in a way that avoids taking a lot of punishment because the NFL, in terms of physicality, is just a step above your power five college football. And the running backs who don't deal with contact well in my experience, you know, grading these guys, they tend to start picking up injuries as they go forward into their career. A good example of that is a guy like James Conner, 
who you know is a really powerful back but just takes a lot of square contact and you see just over time you get ankles and shoulders and and all kinds of injuries like that well this year as the draft is next weekend now you've got two names or three depending on where you're looking that are at the top of the list and I want to talk about these guys individually with you Jay and then also how important landing spot might be you've got at least two different ball games here. You've got the one we're talking about that you're laying out here. You've got to figure out what you can learn about the prospects. He goes into the league, and then it seems like where they get drafted could just change a lot about what their chances of success are. Harris, Etienne, and Williams. Who's your favorite? So it gets it gets into projecting running backs for fantasy. As you said, it's two things or even more. You know, it's what do you think of them on film, but then also where do they get drafted? And where do they fit within the scheme where they end up? The talent discrepancy for running backs in the NFL is is not, you know, you see a lot of this running backs don't matter, all that stuff. It's not super wide. It's not as wide as a lot of other positions like quarterback or receiver where your top quarterback is, you know, night and day better than your 25th best quarterback. Uh, so there's just a smaller split. So what that means is opportunity really is king. And a lot of teams will determine that opportunity based on the resources they put into acquiring that player. So draft capital is really important just in terms of how how much opportunity will this player get. And if their skill level is good enough, you know, they're not going to be bad enough to be, it's not like a Kalen Ballage situation where they're bad enough to be obviously not up to par. And the, the offensive line, you know, obviously it contributes so much in terms of running back production the 15th best running back will sort of be able to blend in with the top five running backs and it won't be that obvious. So when I talk about the film and my top guy, based on what I see on his college tape, it's actually, you know, someone that's not commonly mentioned in the top. And I think a lot of it gets back to what I look for in running backs as I go to the pro game. Uh, and it's Michael Carter from North Carolina. Ooh. So he has, he has my highest film grade. Now from a fantasy perspective, would I draft him as the first running back off the board? No, I would not. And that takes in some of the other stuff I just talked about in terms of, you know, where's he going to get drafted? What's his landing spot going to be? How are coaches going to view him? You know, he's just above 200 pounds. A lot of times NFL coaches don't want to give that guy a bell cow role. So he's much more risky from a fantasy perspective than a guy like Najee Harris, who checks all those boxes of bell cow. Even though when I get into the film, and I see how these two guys play. I like how Michael Carter runs the ball better than I like how Najee Harris runs the ball. And that really gets back to his vision and his efficiency and his ability to get north-south and make guys miss without having to go side-to-side -side too much. It was and his feet, by the way. didn't? I'm sorry, Adam, but didn't you also tweet about his, his footwork uh, last week? Oh, yeah, no doubt. He has some of the best footwork I've seen for a running back. I mean, just his control of his feet and his body – is something I really enjoy watching. As you watch him run through traffic, you know, he he like he doesn't trip on defenders. You see a lot of running backs where there's stuff by their feet and they'll trip and fall down. This guy almost never falls down. I don't, he has this sixth sense for, you know, where to put his feet relative to defenders, and it's just something I really like watching. It sounds like me uh, a lot on the dance floor there, Jay. Footwork, vision, you know, oh, I'm yeah. out there. I'm killing it. But, yeah, I, I heard uh, the podcast you were doing – you were looking, uh, you were really trying to study Javante Williams, right? And just Michael Carter just stopped, kept popping out to you. Is, is that is that what happened? Yeah. So one, one thing that I like to do when I watch these guys is throw on the film, the full game film, because you get a sense for how the players are used, uh, you know, how they perform in different situations. And so I started watching North Carolina because there was a lot of talk about Javante Williams. 
and I don't start studying prospects until after the previous NFL season's done. So, you know, a lot of people know a lot about these guys going in. It's for me, it's like taking off the blindfold and I'm seeing them now for the first time. So I had heard a lot about Javante, started watching Javante, turn on North Carolina. And the first few snaps, the first series, it's a different running back out there. I'm like, well, that's odd. This guy that is talked about as a top two running back isn't even on the field. Who's this guy who's starting over him? And it was Michael Carter, which anyone who watches college football would already know that. But for me, it's like just finding out. Um, <laughs> and I start to watch Carter. and I'm like, whoa, this guy's really, really good. And I actually think that he's better than Javante Williams. And, I, you know, I see why for the NFL people would – have Williams over him because he's more of a prototypical size and he's a powerful back. And a lot of people look for that in NFL runners, but I think what Carter does really does translate well to the NFL. Uh, you know, just those qualities that I mentioned earlier. And yeah, I mean, it was sort of incidental how I found him and, you know, people are talking about him as sort of top five to 10 running back, but I don't think it's common to have him where I have him. No, definitely. And so you're talking about how you would you would still not draft him first among running backs in fantasy because of his size a little bit, what you expect his usage to be in the pros. It, it might be kind of inside out where most fantasy players are looking for from the draft landing spots, you know, a team that doesn't have a number one running back. What do the Steelers look like now or Miami where you'd think like if if they drafted one of these guys, you would think that they would play a lot. Maybe in terms of Carter, and there are a lot of, I mean, it's not just like there's only three running backs who are going to be drafted. They're double figures. Maybe you're looking for, you don't if you don't expect them to be a bell cow, you're looking for maybe a team where someone else is there, but based on the role you'd expect him to play could be really good and you can still find value in him. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it might be useful to, to get into how I approach it from a dynasty fantasy perspective. You know, I've been playing Dynasty Fantasy since I was eight years old, actually started back in 1993 in my dad's Dynasty League that he started in 1988, which actually wasn't even called a Dynasty League back then. It was called a perennial league because it (laughs) keeps going perennially. Um, I've been doing it my whole life, basically. And, And how I approach it for running back skill is exactly that. You know, you see a running back who you think is very talented. And even if he's he's in a non ideal situation, it's useful to know, okay, Michael Carter, I think is better than the guy who's slated to be the starter. So over time, there's a good chance that he works his way into a very significant role. You know, the opposite of that is a guy like Miles Sanders, who's drafted in the second round. And I I wasn't convinced of his talent. And I said, you know, there are guys on his team that I think are better NFL runners than he is. So he may not be that bell cow. He may, he, he may struggle to hold on to a role where he's getting you know all the snaps, all the touches. So I think Carter is useful. A guy like Carter is, is someone who I keep an eye on as a sleeper, you know, pick up in late first, early second round of a dynasty uh, rookie draft, even if his situation doesn't seem ideal at first. And if he earns that opportunity, you know, it could pay off big. And you know, you see guys that are in the low 200 pounds who do operate as a bell cow. Most notably, obviously, is Christian McCaffrey who, you know, coming out of the combine was under 210. You know, I would hesitate to say Carter is the next McCaffrey just because he's not quite the route runner receiver that that McCaffrey is. But I don't think it's unprecedented that guys on the low end 200 pound range eventually work their way into a bell cow role. So if he gets that chance, in my opinion, it could pay off big. So great sleeper for those rookie drafts. I love, I love that. I got to ask you about Travis Etienne because like you, I don't watch a ton of college football because my time's consumed with the NFL, but when I did, it was, you know, national championship semifinal game. And for the last two years, 
watching Travis Etienne, I just fell in love with him, thought he was so good. And then my heart was shattered following you on Twitter when you're just talking and, and, and you're the film guy and I defer to you. You know, some people have Etienne as their number one back. Uh, you clearly don't. Why is it that Travis Etienne or Etienne, what kind of makes you nervous about him as a, as, as a top flight NFL back? Yeah, so Etienne, I definitely have lower than pretty much anyone. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to like him. He has really an outstanding production profile, you know, produced heavily as a true freshman when Clemson won the national championship. You know, he and and uh, Lawrence back there as true freshmen guiding this team to a championship. And he brings a lot of things to the table that I think will translate. Specifically, one of those things that I mentioned I value, you know, greatly in running backs is the burst. He, he has a lot of bursts. He can get to top end speed very quickly. I think his top end speed is a bit overestimated. When you watch him on film, you know, he'll get the angle on guys early, but then he struggles to really separate as the play extends. I don't think that's a death knell by any means, but with Etienne, really what you're banking on is his speed. You know, he's a speed guy and that's his hallmark. Uh, some of the other issues with him is just, you know, mentioning contact. I, I think that he's one of the worst backs in the class in terms of dealing with contact. You know, when you think about what I like to call micro movement, you know, how guys move their shoulder pads, you know, what angle they go into a tackle. Do they fall forward a couple yards? Are they consistently, you know, picking up extra at the end of plays? And I think when Etienne doesn't have an advantageous angle where, you know, it's sort of an arm tackle to his legs, that if he's squared up, he really struggles to to find a productive way to add to the end of runs. You know, he'll often just sort of slow down and try to do a spin move, even within traffic. And one, I don't think that's productive. Two, I think it's very dangerous for injury uh, because when you're spinning in traffic, you end up getting tackled awkwardly and you fall all kinds of different ways. Now, obviously, he was durable in college, so maybe that won't be a problem. And then when I get to his vision, the other thing that I value quite a bit in running backs, it's not that he has bad vision. I think his vision is fine. I think it's just sort of average for a college running back prospect. You know, the things I look for for advanced vision is like manipulating second level defenders. I don't think he does that very often. Uh, you know, anticipating creases. I think he runs to where the hole is rather than where it's going to be. So it's just little things like that to where I'm like, all right, he's sort of an average vision back. And so when you say his speed is good, but not elite for an NFL, you know, he's bad at collisions and he's just average with his vision. Those are my three most important traits. I have a guy who I think could be good in the right situation, but not a bell cow NFL style running back. You know, he'll, he'll get drafted early. So from a fantasy perspective, that's very valuable. And if he ends up in a good scheme for him, like an outside zone scheme, you know, you, what you see the 49ers run, for example, that it could end up paying off big because in the right scheme, he has enough talent to, to be a very effective running back in the NFL. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, you've put so much thought, but also like work and experience into this analysis. And I'm, I'm the fantasy player who does none of that. So what, what I'm trying to figure out in a draft is always – you know, what do they always say? Volume is king, right? And so I want volume and I want opportunity. It's almost the same thing. You're trying to figure out is so-and-so, ETN or Carter, or any of these guys going to get the ball a lot. And so sometimes for me, I, I admit like how good they are or how good experts like yourself tell me they are almost doesn't even come into play, but it should, right? I mean, you've got a catalog in your mind of, of running backs. You liked going into the draft since you've been playing for so long too. And probably a lot of them washed out just because you feel like this, I, I can relate to Jay, you feel like the NFL team they were on didn't use them right. <laughs> or there was a coaching change and it just, you know, or they got hurt, you know, there's always that sort of randomness in it. So 
it's sort of already been covered, but I'd like to watch your draft sometime and just be like, okay, well, this is kind of the the expert ranking. I know what he thinks these players are capable of. And then really those lists kind of go like this. And you can end up, in the example of Michael Carter, not putting him all the way to the top, but you know, still higher than most. Yeah, I mean, the way I think of dynasty fantasy football is a bit like the stock market, right? You can have something like an Amazon where you're like, that's a really strong company. It makes a lot of money, but it's already priced very high. Or you have someone who you say, this is a really good company. Not that many people know about it. So the price is lower. I can hold on to it and maybe that will turn into something in the end. So you can get a bit of a higher return. And I, I think what's really important to emphasize, which you sort of talked about here, is just have a way to make your own value, you know, how you value people, but then also not get so tied to your own value that you don't see what the consensus value is or see how the NFL values players, especially with running backs. Because like I said, you know, the talent discrepancy is not enough like it is with receivers. Like a good receiver is going to work his way to the top. A bad receiver can't fake it. Uh, With running backs, it's much more muddied because you have a lot of other factors involved with the O-line and stuff like that. So understanding, you know, draft capital, the role that the coaches see for the guy, you know, even potentially putting that, giving more weight to that than your own ranking of their skill set is something valuable. And so, you know, just coming at it from, okay, what's consensus? Who's going to get the opportunity? Who has a lock for opportunity? Do I like this guy a lot? That's when the opportunity and the scheme and the player talent all fit. That's when you get something like Dalvin Cook, where you're like, all right, that's a home run right there. You know, if there's opportunity and the scheme is right, but the talent's not quite there, then you have a guy like Miles Sanders who will have flashes of production, but may not be quite as consistent. And then, you know, if someone's not getting an opportunity, but they're talented, that's when you have a guy that you add on to the end of your roster as a sleeper. And you say, well, if he hits, I think he might hit big. So Michael Carter might fall into a situation like that, you know, assuming he goes in round three or round four. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones, a good example of a guy that I, I see very similarly to Carter, who ended up going in the fourth round, you know, very similar skill set and just was confident that he would hit because he's such a skilled runner. And, you know, he has because he's just much more efficient than the guys that were ahead of him on the depth chart at the time. So, you know, that that's sort of how I, I work those three different types of profiles. Jay, can you talk a little bit about for, you know, guys like Mike and I who don't really maybe understand the intricacies of kind of what you were saying, the different roles and the different systems, like there's zoning gap scheme is that I think those are two of the, like kind of the major ones there. And like, can you kind of describe like what the differences between those are and maybe how, how big of a difference that can be to a player and, and their success? Like I, the one I can think of off the top of my head is Henderson for, for the Rams. Like he, in college, he ran one scheme and the Rams run another. So he just hasn't been that successful. Can you kind of talk about those and maybe, um, how big of a difference it can be when it comes to just a player being successful. Yeah. So though I would say those are the major brand, you know, starting it with run schemes, those are sort of the major branches at the top. If you imagine sort of like a flow diagram or a tree zone runs tend to be runs where the offensive line, if you watch them, they're sort of all moving in the same direction as the runner. And what it is, is they're all trying to sort of work either a gap or a half gap over to the play side create an advantage, just get more guys on that side that we're running to. And the running back's job is to look at the linemen who are all moving that direction and and interpret that and process the defense and figure out, okay, where is this hole going to open up? So from a skill set perspective, zone runs require great vision, great decision-making, and great footwork from a running back. And 
you know, other things like Kyle Shanahan really values burst. You know, once they identify that hole, how quickly can they plant their foot and, and get upfield? So you get those sort of linear one cut runners with good vision are sort of the best fits for an outside zone scheme. Gap runs are, you know, probably they're not quite as popular as zone runs. They're more popular back in like the 70s, 80s with sort of football schemes. So a lot of, you know, us older generation types, when we played high school football or, uh, you know, we're watching our high school football team saw a lot of gap runs. So it's like counter is probably the most popular gap run. Yeah. And what that is, is you say, okay, here is a gap. We're trying to make a gap in this specific hole. And so the linemen are, are working to create a crease here. You know, you see Vince Lombardi talking about, uh, you know, you get a, a helmet here and you create your seam here. You're making an alley. Uh, that's the basic idea is we're going to this one hole. The running back's job is to time his footwork through that hole. And really it's about more of the physical ability of a running back, you know, how fast they are, their ability to run with burst, their ability to break a tackle or make one man off in those schemes. You have as a running back, you have to make one man miss, you know, there's one man unaccounted for. So how well can they make that guy miss? And so you'll see a guy, a great example of this historically was Darren McFadden, uh, you know, Raiders high draft pick, very long linear guy, not great balance. And his vision was just okay. So he really struggled when they had coaches that tried to run zone running schemes uh, Hugh Jackson came in and they ran a lot of gap style plays. And Darren McFadden had that one year where he just went nuts because yeah. he's very explosive. He can make one guy miss. So he's a perfect fit for that gap scheme. You know, guys who don't have the vision, balance, footwork, skill set, but are explosive runners who can break a tackle or make a guy miss. Those are ones that I like to see in a situation uh, where they're going to get more like gap style runs. And uh, you know, I've used this guy a lot as an example because he's sort of a great embodiment of, of some of these concepts is Miles Sanders in Philadelphia really struggled with zone runs. But uh, Doug Peterson was smart enough to incorporate gap style runs because Sanders weakness was really his vision and decision making. So they incorporated a lot of gap style runs where if they get a seam, you know, they had a very good offensive line. He can then use his burst to really just, you know, run as fast as he can through the hole and pick up as many yards as possible. And then their line fell apart. And, you know, you had a different you had a different season there. Adam has been talking about your Miles Sanders evaluation. That's why when his name comes up, he's got that Chiron right there. Boom. Miles Sanders. Right there. On the, we, we don't have that. We, we don't have that for everybody. <laughs> we don't have that for everybody. It's nice. It's a nice touch. Yeah. And it's a, it's a nice feather, a nice feather in your cap, I would say. Uh, maybe one of many. One more, Jay, before you go. Justin Fields, now a quarterback, not a running back. But we noticed how. Fields is at the top of your rankings, and if you'll allow us to do so, ffastronauts.com is the site. This is an example of the kind of breakdown and looks great. I mean, just to, to see, get a feel for the site here. Why Fields at the top? Yeah, first of all, I want to shout out all the guys that worked on it. Ryan Keeney, you can find him on Twitter at RB Keeney. He's an analytics guy who put a lot of work into the analytical grade you see there where Fields is ranked very highly because of his production profile. And also just the graphic design team that really put together something that, you know, I think it looks great, it as does. you said. So for me, yeah, Fields graded out as my number one quarterback based on film. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the popular pick for QB1, and I, I don't think you can really go wrong with either of them. Both of them are extremely high-end NFL draft prospects just based on their physical tools, their ability to throw with accuracy, you know, anticipate throwing windows. For me, a couple things push Fields over the top. You know, you hear this narrative that he doesn't process the field well. I think that's very much overblown. 
Ohio State runs a pretty complicated passing offense, much more complex than most of the other college teams that these other top quarterback prospects come from. So the decision-making was a bit more burdensome on him. And you can see him you know, routinely going through his progressions and finding second, third, fourth receivers on time accurately. Yes, you can find examples where he doesn't do that as well, but most college quarterbacks are not going to be 100% consistent with those types of reads. And he did those types of reads a lot more frequently than even a guy like Trevor Lawrence. You know, Clemson's passing offense had a lot more designed pass plays, meaning like wide receiver screens, or, you know, double moves where there's max protection and you're sort of trying to hit one guy. So I think Fields, ironically, what separates him from Lawrence for me was his ability to show that he can process the field and work through multiple reads and find guys on time. I think when Lawrence has to go through his second, third option, that he'll often fall behind the play. And, you know, every when things go great for Lawrence, it looks spectacular. But if, if things don't go quite as designed, that I find his his pocket skill, his decision-making suffered quite a bit. And so that was really the separating factor for those two guys. Again, with the caveat that I think both of them are very high-end quarterback prospects. Very good. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jay. I've learned, I'm learning a lot just in this short time together. And I'm sure there's, for anybody watching, all Dynasty players, just even football fans, there's a lot more to learn so you can follow jay on twitter at jay moyer fb what's the, what's the fb football i bet the stands i bet it stands for football that's all right <laughs> all right and ffastronauts.com jay any questions for us before you go no i just want to say thanks for having me on you know always great time talking ball just anytime you want me on i'm happy to happy to participate it's been a, it's been a great talk yeah we'd love to have you on again jay and talk about maybe some of these guys some of these running backs maybe even michael carter you know did he get drafted into the to the right team? Maybe put post draft. Yeah, definitely a landing landing spot episode. Man, sounds good. Love it. I made a short list of teams I want Michael Carter on now. There you uh, go. <laughs> based on what they are, uh, I put Denver on it. I feel like Denver could be interesting there. I mean, but it, again, I think it probably has to be teams that have somebody. Not necessarily, you know, but certain teams. If he were their running back draft pick, like the Steelers. You might wonder, like, what does that what does that mean? I mean, there's still, I don't know. I feel like complimentary almost is the word I want uh, well, to see I what mean, happens I there. De- I think Denver is a great example because one, people would see him as the backup to Melvin Gordon, so no, nobody would be clamoring to get him on their team. Two, well, I, th- I think Gordon is a, is a good NFL running back. I don't think he's a great NFL running back. So I think that there's an opportunity there for someone to to work in a complimentary role early. Uh, but then also over time, you know, Gordon is obviously, you know, running back shelf life is pretty limited these days. Guys get phased out pretty early on in their second contracts, even, you know, mid 20s. So as time goes by in the next two to three years, you could see Carter, you know, if he is what I think he is, you could see him really work his way into a very prominent role. So that that's a perfect example of with those sleeper guys, what are you looking for? You're looking for somewhere where it's not going to be a lot of hype, where the starter is a little bit older, maybe not, you know, a top end, top, top end running back. And so over time they can work their way into, into, you know, a surprising amount of opportunity. Well, I like it. I like that. I passed the test there and I'll root. I'll, I'll start right now rooting for him to go to Denver next weekend. Jay, thanks a lot. Nice knowing you. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks so much, Jay. Jay Moyer. Love it. FFastronauts.com. I also wrote Tennessee on that list. I'm not sure if that's a little aggressive. That is aggressive, but, um, on a higher level, a lot of what he just laid out is kind of true with Derrick Henry 
I mean, mostly just age. We'll see. Yeah. We'll I'm see. excited. I love Nuggets like that because obviously I trust his evaluation. Michael Carter, like, never would have seen that coming, right? Is the is the number one film graded back, and that's 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 some great stuff. I love it. Well, next weekend, Thursday night, the NFL draft that would be the 29th. Yep. And I, I, I'm excited to get it over with, not because I'm not looking forward to it, but then I can start to do my work, right? Like with right. dynasty leagues, there's That's only right. so much anybody really wants to get done with you normally until we know what teams they're on. We yep. have, you and I are participating in a new league, a dynasty startup, Empire Niagara in May. And I just wanted to bring it up because there are a couple of fun things about the format that I want to mention Okay. Just, just to maybe inspire people to not trick up their format, just find other other ways to make it interesting rather than just the same old 12-team PPR, you know, whatever. One one thing, I, I thought of different leagues that I've been in and what are some of the best features. And one is that I was in a, a league where you had one IDP, but he had to play for your defense. So you had a starting defensive team as well. And basically, you had claim to all the defensive players on that team. If you had Buffalo, you oh, had their whole nice. defense. And anybody you wanted to start in a given week from the Bills, you could start. Wow. So ours is going to work a little bit. like It's sort of a modified version of that where we'll have a defensive team and then of four IDPs, two have to be from that team. I, I wanted something too, Adam, that will make the draft harder, the auction harder to prepare for. And I don't think this. I'm not even sure it's a good idea. Like this is not a this is not an idea you're going to see anywhere else. So, um, what do you think of it? Yeah, I like it. I mean, listen, it's already got a ton of different things to it, right? So, um, you might as well just go go all in with the with the funk. You know what I mean? And just make it uh, make it funky and fun and stuff that we're not used to. And I'm excited. Lots of lots of big names in this. And you know, I was reading something about the the Empire Niagara, something about we can't use our draft pick next year or something. Is that what you were right. writing in an email? What, what, so explain right. that to me while we're live. On All the right. Air. That's, that's the other one I wanted to bring up. So <laughs> this goes back several years uh, from my show at WGR when we were talking about the Sabres, the hockey team yeah, and, and whether they were tanking and just what the value, you know, of all that was, you know, tanking is not a, everybody knows what that is. Yeah. So, Sean McIndoo, a guest we had fairly often back then now with the athletic, he had an idea that one way you could help prevent tanking in sports is if you wouldn't let teams use their own first round picks. I could trade you mine for yours right now. And then really where I end up in the draft comes down to where you finish, not where uh -huh. I finish. So I would not, not have any incentive to lose because you had my pick. You would want me to lose. Yeah. And so people can swap first round picks. You can, in the more conventional way, trade them for players. You go in for a championship, you trade your first for Zeke or whatever to try to win. But when, when the draft starts, if it gets to be your turn and you have your own number one pick still by then you have to forfeit it. Oh, wow. So it's a way just to encourage trading and not that I'd be worried about it in a fantasy league. I mean, I'm picking the people that I want in it. I'm not right. going to be worried about people tanking like that. But this was just a way in sports where you could, you know, you could remove that from consideration. And that's a good thing. So I think that'll be fun, too. Yeah, that will be fun. I mean, so you're basically almost forced to trade it, right? Is that, is that what I'm gathering? You're forced to trade it. Love it. You can wait a year if you want. You can wait all the way up until the draft if you want. But you cannot use your own number one. I like that.
No tanking in the Empire Niagara. Okay? <laughs> there will be no reason to want to finish last. That's in right. This league. This That's league. right. All right. Before we go, let's let's talk about Deshaun Watson for a minute. Let's do it. You and I are both doing lots of best ball drafts. There's also the dynasty aspect to it in, in terms of Watson as well. I would say that in terms of dynasty, I mean, it's, he's tough to trade right now, but I do think, I mean, I don't think he'll be suspended forever. I mean, the guy is still going to have a career. And if you have the right roster, I think there's probably an argument for trading for him. This is to make no judgment or have any comment on what is going on with his life. This is just us talking fantasy football and what his value is. And so I think he still has some, and you might find somebody in your league that wants to be done, you know, that doesn't want to take the chance. And in best ball drafts, Adam, I mean, he's going after Ryan Fitzpatrick at times. Like he, when it's it's just a, it's a redraft format I'm talking about now. So just one season only, because you do have to consider the possibility that he won't play for much of this season or all of it. Who knows? Sure. Yeah. So I've got the I've got the dynasty you know, ADP pulled up right now at fantasymojo.com. I think he's Q, yeah he's QB eleven for, for for dynasty going at the nine point two. If you're asking me, am I buy sell hold? I'm if I own him, I'm holding him. Obviously, if I'm I'm, I'd be buy be more than I would sell for sure. I mean, again, like you said, it's a situation where, you know, Antonio Brown found a team, right? Like, you know, he's good. He's, he's going to play. He's going to play again. And for, you know, for his fantasy sake, hopefully it's not even in Houston. So this is, if you're buying him, you're probably buying him super low and the sky's the limit. He could go to, you know, he could go to New England. He could go anywhere but with Houston, and his stock would be would be higher. So I, I'm certainly buying him if I have the opportunity, if I need, um, if I maybe if I have some some picks or something that I can that I can deal. But yeah, because like you said, he's gonna he's probably gonna play again certainly, um, and hopefully he's not on Houston. So and he's obviously talented. He's young. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, what are you doing? Do, do you have him in any in any dynasty leagues? I'm, I don't think I do. Actually, yeah, I, but I, I don't either. You know, for the last couple of months, when I get an hour or two to sit with my rosters and try to figure out moves, like I was said about the rookies, there's not a lot that you can really do. You have to find the person that wants to sort of gamble on landing spots and use what you think you know about how the draft will go to to make trades if it's possible. It's hard, but with veterans, it's it's less hard. You still don't know destinations. One thing I would do in such an opportunity would be to look across the leagues and see what Watts, where Watson is. Where is he sitting? Is he on a team that has another quarterback if it's a one-quarterback league? I mean, you just try to find I – think, I think maybe the most efficient way to play out the offseason, because we can't all just sit around all day and just staring at these rosters, <laughs> is to, to think about the player first. Who's the player you want to add to your team, your portfolio? Who's the player you'd like to subtract from it? And so in terms of Watson, yeah, I would be looking to see if, you know, you, you want to know who the, the team owner is and are they somebody that, you know, you just look them up and see how they feel because he, he might be, you know, he might be a good deal. I think it's possible, not to say likely, but I think it's possible he is still traded by the draft next week because I, I think there should be, there should be ways to incorporate what kind of punishment he faces into a trade. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think um, that would be absolute pandemonium if he got traded before the draft. That would be awesome. Yeah, no, he certainly has has, has value. And, and I love how you said, you know, 
when I have time to sit with my rosters, only a fantasy football addict would know what, what that means, right? Like, what are you going to do today? Oh, I'm just going to sit with my rosters for a little bit. Like, just marinate over them, you know, nurture them. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, it's that's so good. Water them. Water them, yeah. And, hey, a, a quick little plug for DraftSharks.com, too, coming up. Uh, their new website is going to have a feature where you can uh, you can manage all your teams on there. And one of the cool things you're going to be able to do is, like, let's say you want to trade Deshaun Watson in your league or trade for Deshaun Watson. You can you can sync your league uh, with DraftSharks, and you can say, I want to trade for Deshaun Watson, and it'll kind of formulate a trade for you or a trade partner for you. So um, that'll, be, that, that'll be really cool. We'll talk more about uh, website tools on different websites as the – as the season gets gets closer, but yeah, I think Deshaun Watson is certainly a buy for for, for me. Yeah, uh, sitting with the rosters, I'm not yet to the point where, like, if you had a bunch of screens in your basement or something that you might watch the NFL on with Sunday Ticket or whatever, having each like enough screens, each one can be your league's roster grid, uh, and just <laughs> sort of sit there and stare, you know, sip your drink and then look around. Uh, I haven't gotten quite to that extreme, but it is I'd fun. Need, I mean, that's I'd need too many. There's too many TVs for that, Mike. I wouldn't be able to. It'd be just be. It'd be 150 screens down here. <laughs> yeah, you would need a lot more TVs. That's right. <laughs> I think I have eight dynasty teams. I didn't set out to be in eight, but it sort of worked out that way. Empire Niagara will be nine, and um, that should be a, a, a great time. So that draft is in May, and we'll talk a little bit about that leading up to it probably and then um, afterwards see how how you feel like you did of course okay thanks again to jay moyer follow him at jay moyer fb thanks to draft sharks for their support of the deep end what do we got next week do we know yeah i think we got todd from pa next week got your guy on the guy the guy you've been competing with in all these drafts you can you can you can you can dig in you know what i mean yep i don't know him but i recognize his name from two or three leagues already so that'll be cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Follow the Deep End FF1 on Twitter, if you would. Look for Adam and, and me as well. I'm Mike Shope, Adam Krautwurst. See you next week. See you guys.